Excited to be with you guys this morning. It's been a good, it's been a good holiday, and it's, I'm excited to be here to read from God's Word this morning. Would you guys stand with me while we read God's Word? We're going to read from John chapter 1 today. I'm going to read the scriptures, and we're going to read together the ones that are highlighted in bold for our series, Down to Earth. Starts, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. All right, guys, you may be seated. Praise God. This week, we're starting our Advent message series, Down to Earth with Part 1, Now in Flesh Appearing. I was unfamiliar with the word Advent before coming here and seeing it. And so if you're in that space today, Advent just means coming in our church calendar. We celebrate uh, God's coming in the flesh through Jesus. And we're excited to be a part of this series. We get to celebrate the most amazing thing to happen in human history. And I get to talk about that today. We celebrate a season where a child was born that would change the way we mark time, change our calendars, change history, change our joy, change the way our families operate, change everything, redeem us for our sin. This should excite us this morning. So much happened because God came in the flesh down to us. Speaking of children being born, this is also a special season for me and my wife as this is our last Christmas before our son Silas is born, and I couldn't be more excited. And just as I begin thinking about what fatherhood is going to be like and what that experience is going to be and the characteristics of a good father and I think just gaining wisdom and getting older in general, how, how do I need to do this so that my son is blessed through, uh, through my faithfulness uh, as a father? And I feel like there's something nobody prepares you for. I've never heard it in a talk. Maybe I never heard it here. And that's the aches and noises you make as you get older and children start to come and you're, you're sore and Thanksgiving, I'm getting up from the couch while I'm watching the game. I just start making this like grunt as I'm getting up. The, I feel like I didn't get to talk about that, that that, that was going to happen to me. So I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it. Uh, people who are in Trinity Youth regularly, they can tell you my dad jokes are starting to come in. That was one of them. Uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I got together with some of the, the guys of our group and we played a football game together. And I was sore for like four days. I, I, we went on a little, uh, a little uh, mini baby moon, and I was texting some of the guys that were back here. I'm still sore. It's two and three days later. I didn't even know some of these places could get sore. Some of them were texting me. They were sore, but they looked like they were over it. They were already back to work and, and doing other things. Um, and I was thinking about that. But then I began to think about what, what are the godly attributes of a father? What makes someone a good father and some of those attributes, loving, giving, faithful, compassionate, forgiving, and generous. I see a picture of who God is in our lives. When we start to pick words, each of us maybe has some different adjectives of how we've described who God is in our life. He's been there when nobody else is there, compassionate, our rock, our forgiver, our redeemer, our supporter. 
And I was thinking about what it might mean to be a godly father to us. A picture of what that looks like. And I realized that's what Jesus got to be to us. He came and was the perfect model. He was loving and compassionate and kind and generous and faithful. And I have a story about that that I want to come back to. But isn't it amazing that the love of God sent his son in the flesh? He didn't send a postcard to say, hey, I love you guys. He sent his own son that came in the flesh. John chapter 1 tells us the word became human and he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. That means the word, the second person of the Trinity, broke through to our timeline. He was born as a baby, dwelt in the Virgin Mary's womb for nine months. He became a man and his name is Jesus, which means salvation. That's amazing to me. Every time you look out at a forest, every time you look up at the stars, every time you've gone to a museum and you've seen paintings of beauty, every time you've looked at a beautiful moment, seen a baby laugh, you see the majesty of God at work. You see his power, and it's awe-inspiring. We get that deep sense of awe in our spirit when we see God move in a transformational and powerful way. We say, wow, that's amazing. If you're taking notes with me today, Thought one I have for you is, if creation displays the capacity of God's power, the incarnation displays his capacity for intimacy. If creation displays the capacity of his power, the incarnation displays his capacity for intimacy. I think that's something we need to hear, that God wants to be near to us. God wants us to know him. He wants a relationship. He wants a conversation with us. And he was willing to go through a lot to be here for that. I don't want us to take that for granted today. People look up at the stars and wonder how we got here. They feel there's something powerful out there that must have created all this, and they don't know where it is, or maybe they think what it is or how it happened. They miss out on the fact that not only is God powerful, he's personal. We have a personal God with a great capacity for intimacy. He wants to know us. That's one of the reasons I think the incarnation is so powerful. When we talk in the season about God's coming, the incarnation is powerful. And I keep using that word. Essentially, incarnation means to become flesh. God became flesh. As a human child, he grew just like us. He crawled and he learned to walk just like we did. He fell and bruised his knee just like we did. He grew in wisdom and knowledge just like us. He was sore just like me playing that football game. He was like us in every way except one. He was sinless. He entered into his creation to redeem it and renew it. His appearance in the flesh was not an accident. It was purposeful. It wasn't a cosmic accident. It was divine plan. The book of Colossians says it this way in chapter 1. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. It tells us that everything was created for him and through him. God, in all of his fullness, this great majestic God, was pleased to live in a human body in Jesus. I want to give you some math, maybe a way to think about the incarnation today. Jesus is 100% human, 100% divine, and that equals Jesus for us. He has two natures in one person. If that math sounds wrong... It's because it's a mystery, something we can't fully grasp, that you would have a divine nature and a human nature in one person. The idea that the mighty creator, 
the one who put the stars right in their places, the one who put the sand on the beaches, the one who laid the path we walk through when we go for a hike, that he would step into his creation, be susceptible to time and space, aging and death, sickness and stress, but he was propelled by love to come to us. He came to rescue and restore us. He came for the lost to give them eternal life. It's news that's almost too good to be true. I just want us to be hit with that awe today in a fresh way. The divine nature and the human nature became one person because he couldn't stand to see you bound and do nothing about it. It's almost too good to be true. I want to help make this idea just a little bit more clear by saying what this is not, because it can be easy to get this confused. Jesus is not a man that one day became a God. He's not partially a man. He's not partially a God. He's not two different people that became one person. He is both God and man at the same time without sacrificing either of those things. He is the pre-existent son, God from eternity past, become a visible image in the person of Jesus Christ for an eternal purpose in our redemption. He's not a man, he's also God. This is crucial that he has to be more than a man. He has to be that. Our faith is built on the idea that Jesus is more than a man. He's also God. Which begs the question, why? Why did Jesus have to be a man and God? Why did he have to be both? Why couldn't he be a percentage of either? And I want to talk about that today. Thought three, if you're writing these down. Jesus was human to suffer and sympathize. Jesus was divine to satisfy and secure. He was human to suffer and sympathize, and he was divine to satisfy and secure. Jesus had to be truly human to suffer in our place and to sympathize with us. He's the perfect example of real humanity looks like. I think we can forget that Adam very quickly traded God's best in his life for what he wanted. And since Adam, we haven't seen a clear picture of what a man looks like when he's totally devoted to the purposes of God and is totally obedient to God's will. But the only example we see in the entire Bible of someone being totally devoted to the will of God for his entire life is in the person of Jesus. So how did he sympathize with us? How does he know what it's like to be you? Jesus faced human temptation. He knows what it's like to be tempted to reject the will of God for your life. I think that's encouraging. I've been in spaces where maybe option two looks really, really good. God's called me to option one. But I can't deny the grip of option two just there, just outside of arm's reach, just farther than God's will for my life, just farther than where he's called me to go. Jesus knows what it's like to face great adversity and be tempted to give up and stay comfortable rather than to see God's will accomplished. I can't imagine what he went through at Gethsemane. Full knowledge the wrath of God would be poured out on him. Full knowledge that he would bear that wrath alone and completely submissive to the will of God. Whenever God calls us to do something difficult, to live sacrificially, to give, to be generous with our time, to put his will before ours, to sacrifice, to care for the people close to us, to love deeply and truly and honestly, To put others' needs before our own, I can trust him because I know he's been there. He's been tired 
and done another thing. He's been stressed and listened to someone's problems. He's prayed prayers and cried tears for those close to him. If you've lost a loved one, Jesus knows what that's like too. He knows what it's like to stand outside the tomb of somebody he loves so dearly. He knows what it looks like and feels like to weep over someone who's dying. It doesn't get more intimate than that. I'm struck by the idea that we have a God who knows what it's like to be in our position. There are people who are praying to a God that they can't seem to appeal to, an emotionless one that doesn't care about their existence, but the God who's there is real and he cares about what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. If you've been through a season where food was hard to come by, Jesus knows what it's like to be you. To be betrayed, to be shunned and forgotten, to be an outsider. Every one of us in here wants to be loved, wants to be known, and Jesus knows what it's like to be forgotten. To hit the hardest moment of your life and not have your closest friends with you. He knows what it's like when your friends deny you and you look them in their eyes while they do it. This means when I'm in any of these circumstances and I study the life of Jesus, I find truth in how to overcome these things. I can watch the life of Jesus and find truth in how to walk through these things. Maybe there's not another person in this auditorium that knows what you're going through, but I can guarantee you Jesus does. And true to this character, he doesn't leave us to fight these battles by ourselves. He's not abandoning you to be a victim of your circumstances. He's empowered you by the Spirit. He's redeemed you by what he bought you so that you don't have to face those alone, but you have him walking through those things with you. Jesus faced human temptation. That's amazing. For me, one of the powerful things that Jesus showed me, I didn't appreciate till I was much older, was that Jesus practiced spiritual disciplines. When we look at Jesus' life, we can see the things he taught, but almost as instructive as the things he did. What did Jesus do with his time? When I want to grow intimacy with the Father, I have an example for how to do that. I can watch the life of Jesus and find how to connect with God. If you've ever struggled with not being able to connect with God, the good news is God gave us an example of how to do it in Jesus Christ. He went off to desolate places to pray. He went off by himself found himself a corner, he opened himself up to full revelation from the Father. He fasted, he knew scripture, he had community. And this has been huge in my life. When I want to grow my relationship with God, I don't have to beat my head against a wall trying to figure out an equation. I don't have to make a sacrifice. I don't have to tiptoe just the right way. I can bring my needs to the Father and I can look at the life of Jesus and walk how he walked. Jesus set aside time to pray. How much more do I need to set aside time in the quiet to hear the voice of God? Jesus fasted when he wanted to know the will of God. He put everything else in the back burner so he can open himself up fully to the will of God. He knew scripture. He could call on the promises of God from a secure and confident place because he knew them. And he gave us an example of what it was like himself. Taking time aside to be in the quiet is something I, I started doing later in life, but I found that a lot of the complicated issues in my life, a lot of the things I don't have words for are worked out in the quiet. When God knows what it feels like to be me, even when I don't have the words to express it. 
He also, he suffered for us. Romans 5 tells us that Adam's sin brought condemnation for everyone, but do you know Christ's righteous life brought righteousness for everybody? We can't live a perfect life, but Jesus did. And we can have his righteousness because of what he did. If he doesn't come in the flesh, there is no peace with God. You know, I don't know if you can find a person of any faith that says, I deserve God's attention. But I'm confident that I have his attention because Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus had to be human so that he knows what it's like to be us, so he can sympathize with our suffering, so he can be an example for real humanity. But Jesus had to be truly divine to satisfy and secure. For our relationship with God to be restored, Jesus had to be divine as well. The Bible tells us there's one God and one mediator between God and men. I know in my life there are times I've been frustrated because I wanted to look God face to face and I wanted him to explain to me why I was walking through what I was walking through. I'm not saying I deserve a perfect life, but I'm frustrated because I don't think I did anything to be in my present circumstances and God, I wish you would just talk with me. Tell me why I'm experiencing what I'm going through. Christ is that mediator. He's that bridge anchored on one side by his divinity on the other side by his humanity, and we can have full access to God when we come through Jesus. It's so easy, in my experience, to put other things in that place, though, to have other mediators between the peace and purpose we seek in God, between the relationship we seek in God and ourselves. In times of stress, especially, I think, in the holiday season, you're busy, you got family in from out of town, maybe friends you haven't talked to in a while, you got a ton of things on your calendar and on your schedule, to fall out of rhythm with your time with God. Maybe you headed out of town and you're back, but you left your Bible on your table before you left and you forgot, or maybe you maybe missed your Bible plan for the day, or maybe it's for the week. I find that what we practice in times of peace, we rehearse in times of stress. So maybe if control is my mediator, I want peace, I seek control. And as soon as I lose control, so goes my peace. But when God is that mediator, when Jesus is the bridge between us and God, when he is the source of our peace, nothing can rob us from that peace. Jesus had to be the mediator so that we can have access to God. Nothing else can be that mediator for you. It will fail you every time. But because of what Jesus did to make peace with God, we can be confident. He also had to be God to make himself known to us. God is fully revealed in the person of Jesus. I find when we can't see God, we can make up all sorts of things about what God is like. Maybe you've heard that God is angry in the Old Testament, but he's nice in the New Testament. But in the life and words of Jesus, we find more than just casual wisdom, more than just good ideas. We find the full expression of God's nature, heart, and purpose. If you want to know what God is like, what he would do in specific situations, what his will for your life is, how you can be in relationship to others, what the full revelation of that and more is in the person of Jesus. Jesus made God fully known. So if Jesus is the eternal son, powerful in every way, how could he lay down his glory to come to us? 
to be our example, to be our savior. The word tells us he went from lofty to lowly. In Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 6, it says, Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. He went from lofty to lowly, becoming a servant to secure our adoption. He became like us so we could become like him. Our sonship, our daughtership was so, so important that he was willing to give up his glory so that we could have access. I want to give you three quick things that Jesus' incarnation bought us that we would not have if Jesus had not come in the flesh. The first thing is we wouldn't have boldness in prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 15, tells us this high priest understands our weaknesses. He faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace of our gracious God, and there he will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. We have boldness in our prayers because Jesus knows what it's like. When we come to lay things at his feet, he understands our position. He's looking at us gracefully. There's love in his eyes when you bring your petitions before him. I don't know what you've heard about God, but the character of God revealed in Jesus tells us that he's waiting to hear that prayer request you have. He's waiting to hear about that thing you've been struggling with. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you and he wants you to return to him. Maybe you haven't been in church in a little while. Maybe you recently decided to return. And I want you to know that God is waiting for you to speak to him. I was speaking to someone who had a fear that they missed God's will and something they were supposed to do. They thought they misheard God's voice. One of the things that hit me is, man, if you knew the heart of God for you, if you knew how much he loved you, if you knew what he laid aside so that you could have access to him, you wouldn't doubt that he wants to speak to you. When I think, I think about the glory of God being laid aside and him coming here so we can have access and then us not wanting to use it for fear that God not, doesn't want to hear what we have to say, it's astounding. We have boldness when we come to God because we know he came for that reason so we can have access to the Father. One of the other things he granted us is peace under pressure. When we face difficult circumstances. We know we can have peace. Romans 8 tells us, I'll paraphrase it here, that he who gave up his own son, how could he not also graciously give us all things? If God was willing to put his son in our place, how can we not ask for what we're going through? How can we not make requests of God? How can we not have peace when we know he would move heaven and earth? He would lay aside divine glory. He would come in the humble form of a servant. He would live a sinless life. He would die and suffer so that we could have access. When we know that, we know he gave his son. How could we not think there's too bold a prayer, too tough a question, too hard a situation that we couldn't make an appeal and ask God? How could he abandon you? I think sometimes what gets in our head is, I haven't been a very good child, 
so he won't treat me very well. I've done this wrong and that wrong. And if you knew what I brought to God, you would know why he doesn't want to talk to me. If you know what I said about him or what I did, if you know how I ignore him, how when I look at my Bible, I feel uneasy because I don't know how to read it. If you, if you knew what I've been through, you'd know why God doesn't want to talk to me. What I want to tell you today is even when we're bad children, he's a good father. He wants us to have boldness when we ask of him. He wants to have peace when we're in his presence. He also wants us to have a confident hope for the future. I do want to read this one from Romans chapter 5. I think this is so powerful, so I want to take time with this. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, while we were still his enemies, our relationship was restored, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I have relationship with God because Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Advent's a season where we celebrate the coming of our Savior. He came in this body of flesh. He bought redemption for us. We also look forward to the second Advent when he comes back, when he sets all things new, when he restores all things. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And early in this message, I said I had a story about fatherhood I wanted to share. I think this is really important. What is biblical fatherhood? How do I be a great father? When I look at my son, Will he know that I care about him? Will he know that when he messes up, I want him to run to me and not away from me? Will he know that I am so concerned that he have a good relationship with me, good relationship with God? I began to think about my father, who's here. I remember a story, I was about 14, and I had a tough year. I wasn't a great student, I talk back to my teachers. I'm sorry, teachers, if you're here in the room, I, if you're on the, I just, God bless you. I had a birthday coming, and I had a pretty tough year. My grades weren't good. I was distracted. I had a lot of things to say that I shouldn't say during class. Just, I, I was just a tough student to have. And my midterm grades are about to come out, and I know things weren't going to be good whenever uh, my parents got my report. It was going to be a tough birthday for me. I was going into that weekend thinking, if I can get through this weekend, do my chores. Hey, if your parents, if your kids suddenly come home and do all of their chores and the house is clean and they've cleaned up the stuff that you were supposed to do, I would just be looking in the mail for something to come. I'd be looking for a phone call from you. Something is, something is wrong. I remember my dad was away. Uh, he had something for his job out of town. And I just remember thinking, I just want to get through this birthday. If I can get to the other side of it, I'll take my punishment. I know. So we went to the store to grab some things, and we're on our way home. We're in the car. And as we pull up to our house, I see a weird car in my driveway, one I, I didn't recognize. Nobody I know had a car like this. And so I'm kind of on alert. Who's parked outside of our house? My mom is here. So I, I get out of the car, wanting to beat my mom and my brother, my little brother, to the door because I wanted to see you know, who's in our house just in case it wasn't somebody good? I don't know. So I got out the car to make sure there was no stranger in our house. I 
consciously peeked the door open. And there in the door was my dad, happy to see me and hugging me despite all the stuff I put him through. He made it for my birthday. He took a flight which he doesn't enjoy flying. So he could be there in the flesh. Bigger than any gift I got that year was the gift of my dad's presence. But more than that is what it communicated to me about him. He wasn't there because I was a great child. Because I got all my grades right. He wasn't there because I followed all the rules. He was there because he's a great father. What I want you to take away from this message today is when the father saw his children struggling, when he saw you lost in your sins, when he saw you buried under the weight of living in this life, maybe even choices you chose, he sent his son in the flesh, not because you're keeping all the rules, not because you make it every time you're supposed to be wherever you're supposed to be, not because you read every word or letter in the Bible, but because that's who he is, because he's a great father and he wants you to know him. Scripture tells us Jesus restored our relationship with the Father. And he asks us to put our trust and dependence on him. If you haven't put your trust and dependence on him, I want to invite you to do so. Jesus wants to hear from you. Here, when we put our faith in God, we walk through three things, the ABCs. What I want you to do is admit Admit that you've done wrong before. Admit that you need forgiveness. Remember, Jesus didn't come in the flesh because you're perfect. He came in the flesh because our Father is perfect. Believe. Believe that Jesus was fully God, fully man, came in the flesh, died on the cross, and rose again as payment for your sins. And choose. Choose to allow God to be in charge of your life. Choose to put him as Lord if you're ready to commit to that today, I want to pray with you. I'd love to help you with the Bible after service, and I want you to know God wants to hear from you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every person who's choosing to put their faith in you right now, God, who's heard what your character is like, but Jesus has revealed what your character is like. God, I thank you that you gave us a personal, tangible expression, God that will be seen with our eyes and touch with our hands concerning the word of life. God, I just pray right now that you would make yourself real, personal, intimate right now with the person who's struggling with feeling that you're there, God. Would you just make your presence manifest to them? They would believe, put faith in you. They would have boldness when they pray that you hear them, that you love them, that you're listening to them, that you can't wait to hear from them and be with them. I pray that their confession comes, but afterwards they are washed in your grace, bought by your blood, because you came in the flesh. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.